since it was first published in 1563. The Heidelberg Catechism has been a blessing to many generations of God's people. This recording of the Catechism has been produced with a desire to encourage God's people in the doctrines contained in this most helpful tool as it reflects the teaching of Holy Scripture. The Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 1, Question 1. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I with body and soul, both in life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who with his precious blood has fully satisfied for all my sins and redeemed me from all the power of the devil, and so preserves me that without the will of my Father in heaven not a hair can fall from my head, indeed, that all things must work together for my salvation. Wherefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live unto him. Question 2. How many things are necessary for you to know that in this comfort you may live and die happily? Three things. First, the greatness of my sin and misery. Second, how I am redeemed from all my sins and misery. Third, how I am to be thankful to God for such redemption. The first part of man's misery. Lord's Day 2. Question 3. From where do you know your misery? From the law of God. Question 4. What does the law of God require of us? Christ teaches us in some Matthew 22. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Question 5. Can you keep all this perfectly? No, for I am prone by nature to hate God and my neighbor. Lord's Day 3. Question 6. Did God create man thus wicked and perverse? No, but God created man good and after his own image, that is, in righteousness and true holiness, that he might rightly know God his Creator, heartily love Him, and live with Him in eternal blessedness to praise and glorify Him. Question 7. From where, then, does this depraved nature of man come? From the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise, whereby our nature became so corrupt that we are all conceived and born in sin. Question 8. But are we so depraved that we are completely incapable of any good and prone to all evil? Yes, unless we are born again by the Spirit of God. Lord's Day 4, Question 9. Does not God then do injustice to man by requiring of him in his law that which he cannot perform? No, for God so made man that he could perform it. But man, through the instigation of the devil, by willful disobedience, 
deprived himself and all his descendants of this power. Question 10. Will God allow such disobedience and apostasy to go unpunished? Certainly not. But he is terribly displeased with our inborn as well as our actual sins and will punish them in just judgment in time and eternity as he has declared. Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Question 11. But is not God also merciful? God is indeed merciful, but he is likewise just. His justice therefore requires that sin which is committed against the Most High Majesty of God be punished with extreme that is, with everlasting punishment, both of body and soul. The second part of man's redemption, Lord's Day 5, question 12. Since then, by the righteous judgment of God, we deserve temporal and eternal punishment. How may we escape this punishment and be again received into favor? God wills that his justice be satisfied. Therefore, we must make full satisfaction to that justice, either by ourselves or by another. Question 13. Can we ourselves make this satisfaction? Certainly not. On the contrary, we daily increase our guilt. Question 14. Can any mere creature make satisfaction for us? None. For first, God will not punish any other creature for the sin which man committed. And further, no mere creature can sustain the burden of God's eternal wrath against sin and redeem others from it. Question 15. What kind of mediator and redeemer, then, must we seek? One who is a true and righteous man, and yet more powerful than all creatures, that is, one who is also true God. Lord's Day 6, question 16. Why must he be a true and righteous man? Because the justice of God requires that the same human nature which has sinned should make satisfaction for sin. But one who is himself a sinner cannot satisfy for others. Question 17. Why must he also be true God? that by the power of his Godhead he might bear in his manhood the burden of God's wrath, and so obtain for and restore to us righteousness and life. Question 18. But who now is that mediator who in one person is true God and also a true and righteous man? Our Lord Jesus Christ, who is freely given unto us for complete redemption and righteousness. Question 19. From where do you know this? From the Holy Gospel, which God himself first revealed in paradise, afterwards proclaimed by the holy patriarchs and prophets, and foreshadowed by the sacrifices and other ceremonies of the law, and finally fulfilled by his well-beloved Son. Question 20. Are all men then saved by Christ, as they have perished in Adam? No, only those who by true faith are engrafted into him and receive all his benefits. 
Question 21. What is true faith? True faith is not only a sure knowledge whereby I hold for truth all that God has revealed to us in His Word, but also a hearty trust which the Holy Ghost works in me by the Gospel, that not only to others, but to me also, forgiveness of sins, everlasting righteousness, and salvation are freely given by God, merely of grace, only for the sake of Christ's merits. Question 22. What then is necessary for a Christian to believe? All that is promised us in the gospel, which the articles of our Catholic undoubted Christian faith teach us in summary. Question 23. What are these articles? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Lord's Day 8 Question 24 How are these articles divided? Into three parts. The first is of God the Father and our creation. The second of God the Son and our redemption. The third of God the Holy Ghost and our sanctification. Question 25. Since there is but one divine being, why do you speak of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost? Because God has so revealed himself in his word that these three distinct persons are the one true eternal God. Of God the Father, Lord's Day 9, Question 26. What do you believe when you say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth? That the Eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who of nothing made heaven and earth with all that in them is, who likewise upholds and governs the same by his eternal counsel and providence, is for the sake of Christ his Son, my God and my Father, in whom I so trust, as to have no doubt that he will provide me with all things necessary for body and soul, and further, that whatever evil he sends upon me in this troubled life, he will turn to my good, for he is able to do it, being Almighty God and willing also, being a faithful Father. Lord's Day 10 Question 27 What do you understand by the providence of God? The almighty everywhere present power of God, whereby, as it were by His hand, He still upholds heaven and earth with all creatures, and so governs them that the herbs and grass rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, health and sickness, 
riches and poverty. Indeed, all things come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. Question 28. What does it profit us to know that God created and by his providence upholds all things? That we may be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity. And for what is future, have good confidence in our faithful God and Father, that no creature shall separate us from his love, since all creatures are so in his hand, that without his will they cannot so much as move. Of God the Son Lord's Day 11 Question 29 Why is the Son of God called Jesus, that is, Savior? Because he saves us from our sins, and because salvation is not to be sought or found in any other. Question 30 Do those also believe in the only Savior Jesus, who seek their salvation and welfare from saints, themselves, or anywhere else? No. Although they make their boast of him, yet in their deeds they deny the only Savior, Jesus. For either Jesus is not a complete Savior, or they who by true faith receive this Savior must have in him all that is necessary to their salvation. Lord's Day 12, Question 31. Why is he called Christ, that is, anointed? Because he is ordained of God the Father and anointed with the Holy Ghost to be our chief prophet and teacher, who has fully revealed to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our redemption, and our only high priest, who by the one sacrifice of his body has redeemed us, and ever lives to make intercession for us with the Father, and our eternal King, who governs us by his word and spirit, and defends and preserves us in the redemption obtained for us. Question 32. But why are you called a Christian? Because by faith I am a member of Christ, and thus a partaker of his anointing, in order that I may also confess his name, may present myself a living sacrifice of thankfulness to him, and with a free conscience may fight against sin and the devil in this life, and hereafter in eternity reign with him over all creatures. Lord's Day 13 Question 33 Why is he called God's only begotten Son, since we also are the children of God? Because Christ alone is the eternal, natural Son of God. But we are children of God by adoption through grace for his sake. Question 34 why do you call him our Lord? Because not with silver or gold, but with his precious blood, he has redeemed and purchased us, body and soul, from sin and from all the power of the devil, to be his own. Lord's Day 14, question 35. What is the meaning of conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary? that the eternal Son of God, who is and continues true and eternal God, 
took upon himself the very nature of man, of the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary, by the operation of the Holy Ghost, so that he might also be the true seed of David, like unto his brethren in all things, except for sin. Question 36. What benefit do you receive from the holy conception and birth of Christ? That he is our mediator, and with his innocence and perfect holiness covers in the sight of God my sin wherein I was conceived. Lord's Day 15, Question 37 What do you understand by the word suffered? That all the time he lived on earth, but especially at the end of his life, he bore in body and soul the wrath of God against the sin of the whole human race, in order that by his suffering, as the only atoning sacrifice, he might redeem our body and soul from everlasting damnation and obtain for us the grace of God, righteousness, and eternal life. Question 38. Why did he suffer under Pontius Pilate as judge? That he, being innocent, might be condemned by the temporal judge and thereby deliver us from the severe judgment of God to which we were exposed. Question 39. Is there anything more in his having been crucified than if he had suffered some other death? Yes, for thereby I am assured that he took upon himself the curse which lay upon me, because the death of the cross was accursed of God. Lord's Day 16, Question 40. Why was it necessary for Christ to suffer death? Because the justice and truth of God required that satisfaction for our sins could be made in no other way than by the death of the Son of God. Question 41. Why was he buried? To show thereby that he was really dead. Question 42. Since then Christ died for us, why must we also die? Our death is not a satisfaction for our sin, but only a dying to sin and an entering into eternal life. Question 43. What further benefit do we receive from the sacrifice and death of Christ on the cross? That by His power our old man is with him crucified, slain, and buried, so that the evil lust of the flesh may no more reign in us, but that we may offer ourselves unto him a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Question, Question 44. Why is it added, he descended into hell? That in my greatest temptations I may be assured that Christ my Lord by his inexpressible anguish, pains, and terrors, which he suffered in his soul on the cross and before, has redeemed me from the anguish and torment of hell. Lord's Day 17, Question 45 What benefit do we receive from the resurrection of Christ? First, by his resurrection he has overcome death 
that he might make us partakers of the righteousness which he has obtained for us by his death. Second, by his power we are also now raised up to a new life. Third, the resurrection of Christ is to us a sure pledge of our blessed resurrection. Question 46 What do you understand by the words, He ascended into heaven? That Christ, in the sight of his disciples, was taken up from the earth into heaven, and continues there in our behalf, until he shall come again to judge the living and the dead. Question 47 But is not Christ with us even unto the end of the world, as he has promised? Christ is true man and true God. According to his human nature, he is now not on earth, but according to his Godhead, majesty, grace, and spirit, he is at no time absent from us. Question 48 But are not in this way the two natures in Christ separated from one another, if the manhood is not wherever the Godhead is? Not at all. For since the Godhead is incomprehensible and everywhere present, it must follow that it is indeed beyond the bounds of the manhood which it has assumed, but is yet nonetheless in the same also, and remains personally united to it. Lord's Day 18 Question 49 what benefit do we receive from Christ's ascension into heaven? First, that he is our advocate in the presence of his Father in heaven. Second, that we have our flesh in heaven as a sure pledge that he as the head will also take us, his members, up to himself. Third, that he sends us his Spirit as an earnest, by whose power we seek those things which are above, where Christ sits at the right hand of God, and not things on earth. Question 50. Why is it added, and sitteth at the right hand of God? Because Christ ascended into heaven for this end, that he might there appear as the head of his church, by whom the Father governs all things. Lord's Day 19. Question 51. What does this glory of Christ our head profit us? First, that by his Holy Spirit he pours out heavenly gifts upon us, his members. Then that by his power he defends and preserves us against all enemies. Question 52. What comfort is it to you that Christ shall come to judge the living and the dead, that in all my sorrows and persecutions I, with uplifted head, look for the very one who offered himself for me to the judgment of God, and removed all curse from me, to come as judge from heaven, who shall cast all his and my enemies into everlasting condemnation, but shall take me with all his chosen ones to himself into heavenly joy and glory. Of God the Holy Ghost Lord's Day 20 Question 53. What do you believe concerning the Holy Ghost? First, that He is co-eternal God with the Father and the Son. Second, 
that he has also given unto me by true faith makes me a partaker of Christ and all his benefits, comforts me, and shall abide with me forever. Lord's Day 21 Question 54 What do you believe concerning the Holy Catholic Church? That out of the whole human race, from the beginning to the end of the world, the Son of God, by His Spirit and Word, gathers, defends, and preserves for Himself unto everlasting life a chosen communion in the unity of the true faith, that I am and forever shall remain a living member of this communion. Question 55. What do you understand by the communion of saints? First, that believers, one and all, as members of the Lord Jesus Christ, are partakers with Him in all His treasures and gifts. Second, that each one must feel himself bound to use his gifts readily and cheerfully for the advantage and welfare of other members. Question 56. What do you believe concerning the forgiveness of sins? That God, for the sake of Christ's satisfaction, will no more remember my sins nor the sinful nature with which I have to struggle all my life long, but graciously imputes to me the righteousness of Christ, that I may never more come into condemnation. Lord's Day 22 Question 57 What comfort do you receive from the resurrection of the body? that not only my soul after this life shall be immediately taken up to Christ its head, but also that this my body, raised by the power of Christ, shall be reunited with my soul and made like the glorious body of Christ. Question 58. What comfort do you receive from the article, Life Everlasting? that inasmuch as I now feel in my heart the beginning of eternal joy, I shall after this life possess complete blessedness, such as I has not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man, therein to praise God forever. Lord's Day 23 Question 59 What does it help you now that you believe all this, that I am righteous in Christ before God and an heir of eternal life. Question 60. How are you righteous before God? Only by true faith in Jesus Christ. That is, although my conscience accuses me that I have grievously sinned against all the commandments of God and have never kept any of them, and am still prone always to all evil. Yet God, without any merit of mine, of mere grace, grants and imputes to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ, as if I had never committed nor had any sins, and had myself accomplished all the obedience which Christ has fulfilled for me, if only I accept such benefit with a believing heart. Question 61. Why do you say that you are righteous by faith only? Not that I am acceptable to God on account of the worthiness of my faith, 
but because only the satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ is my righteousness before God, and I can receive the same and make it my own in no other way than by faith only. Lord's Day 24 But why cannot our good works be the whole or part of our righteousness before God? Because the righteousness which can stand before the judgment seat of God must be perfect throughout and entirely conformable to the divine law. But even our best works in this life are all imperfect and defiled with sin. Question 63. Do our good works merit nothing, even though it is God's will to reward them in this life and in that which is to come? The reward comes not of merit, but of grace. Question 64. But does not this doctrine make men careless and profane? No. For it is impossible that those who are implanted into Christ by true faith should not bring forth fruits of thankfulness. The Sacraments. Lord's Day 25. Question 65. Since then we are made partakers of Christ and all His benefits by faith only. Where does this faith come from? The Holy Ghost works faith in our hearts by the preaching of the Holy Gospel and confirms it by the use of the Holy Sacraments. Question 66. What are the sacraments? The sacraments are visible holy signs and seals appointed by God for this end, that by their use He may the more fully declare and seal to us the promise of the gospel, namely, that of free grace He grants us the forgiveness of sins and everlasting life for the sake of the one sacrifice of Christ accomplished on the cross. Question 67. Are both the Word and the sacraments designed to direct our faith to the sacrifice of Christ on the cross as the only ground of our salvation? Yes, truly. For the Holy Ghost teaches in the Gospel and assures us by the holy sacraments that our whole salvation stands in the one sacrifice of Christ made for us on the cross. Question 68. How many sacraments has Christ instituted in the New Testament? Two, Holy Baptism and the Holy Supper. Of Holy Baptism, Lord's Day 26. Question 69. How is it signified and sealed to you in Holy Baptism that you have part in the one sacrifice of Christ on the cross? Thus, that Christ instituted this outward washing with water and joined to it this promise that I am washed with His blood and Spirit from the pollution of my soul that is from all my sins as certainly as I am washed outwardly with water whereby commonly the filthiness of the body is taken away. Question 70 What is it to be washed with the blood and Spirit of Christ? It is to have the forgiveness of sins from God through grace for the sake of Christ's blood, which He shed for us in His sacrifice on the cross, and also to be renewed by the Holy Spirit 
and sanctified to be members of Christ, so that we may more and more die unto sin and lead holy and unblameable lives. Question 71. Where has Christ promised that we are as certainly washed with his blood and spirit as with the water of baptism? In the institution of baptism which says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. This promise is also repeated where Scripture calls baptism the washing of regeneration and the washing away of sins. Lord's Day 27 Question 72 Is then the outward washing with water itself the washing away of sins? No, for only the blood of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit cleanse us from all sin. Question 73 Why then does the Holy Ghost call baptism the washing of regeneration? and the washing away of sins. God speaks thus with great cause, namely, not only to teach us thereby that just as the filthiness of the body is taken away by water, so our sins are taken away by the blood and spirit of Christ, but much more, that by this divine pledge and token he may assure us that we are as really washed from our sins spiritually as our bodies are washed with water. Question 74. Are infants also to be baptized? Yes, for since they as well as their parents belong to the covenant and people of God, and through the blood of Christ both redemption from sin and the Holy Ghost, who works faith, are promised to them no less than to their parents, they are also by baptism as a sign of the covenant to be engrafted into the Christian church and distinguished from the children of unbelievers, as was done in the Old Testament by circumcision, in place of which, in the New Testament, baptism is appointed. Of the Holy Supper, Lord's Day 28, Question 75 How is it signified and sealed to you in the Holy Supper that you partake of the one sacrifice of Christ on the cross and all his benefits. Thus, that Christ has commanded me and all believers to eat of this broken bread and to drink of this cup in remembrance of him, and has joined therewith these promises. First, that his body was offered and broken on the cross for me, and his blood shed for me, as certainly as I see with my eyes the bread of the Lord broken for me and the cup communicated to me. And further, that with his crucified body and shed blood, he himself feeds and nourishes my soul to everlasting life. As certainly as I receive from the hand of the minister, taste with my mouth the bread and cup of the Lord, which are given me as certain tokens of the body and blood of Christ. Question 76. What does it mean to eat the crucified body and drink the shed blood of Christ? 
It means not only to embrace with a believing heart all the sufferings and death of Christ, and thereby to obtain the forgiveness of sins and life eternal, but moreover also to be so united more and more to his sacred body by the Holy Spirit, who dwells both in Christ and in us, that although he is in heaven and we on earth, we are nevertheless flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone, and live and are governed forever by one Spirit, as members of the same body are governed by one soul. Question 77. Where has Christ promised that he will thus feed and nourish believers with his body and blood, as certainly as they eat of this broken bread and drink of this cup? In the institution of the supper, which says, The Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. And this promise is also repeated by the Apostle Paul, where he says, The cup of blessing which we bless." Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, so we being many are one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. Lord's Day 29, question 78. Do then the bread and the wine become the real body and blood of Christ? No, but as the water in baptism is not changed into the blood of Christ, nor becomes the washing away of sins itself, being only the divine token and assurance thereof, so also in the Lord's Supper the sacred bread does not become the body of Christ itself, though agreeably to the nature and usage of sacraments it is called the body of Christ. Question 79 why then does Christ call the bread his body, and the cup his blood, or the New Testament in his blood, and the Apostle Paul the communion of the body and the blood of Christ? Christ speaks thus with great cause, namely, not only to teach us thereby that like as the bread and wine sustain this temporal life, so also his crucified body and shed blood are the true meat and drink of our souls unto life eternal. But much more, by this visible sign and pledge to assure us that we are as really partakers of his true body and blood by the working of the Holy Ghost, as we receive by the mouth of the body these holy tokens in remembrance of him, and that all his sufferings and obedience are as certainly our own as if we ourselves had suffered and done all in our own person. Lord's Day 30 Question 80 What difference is there between the Lord's Supper and the Pope's Mass? The Lord's Supper testifies to us that we have full forgiveness of all our sins by the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ 
which he himself once accomplished on the cross. And that by the Holy Ghost we are engrafted into Christ, who with his true body is now in heaven at the right hand of the Father, and is there to be worshipped. But the Mass teaches that the living and the dead do not have forgiveness of sins through the sufferings of Christ, unless Christ is still daily offered for them by the priest, and that Christ is bodily under the form of bread and wine, and is therefore to be worshipped in them. And thus the Mass at bottom is nothing else than a denial of the one sacrifice and suffering of Jesus Christ and an accursed idolatry. Question 81. Who are to come to the table of the Lord? Those who are displeased with themselves for their sins, yet trust that these are forgiven them, and that their remaining infirmity is covered by the suffering and death of Christ, who also desire more and more to strengthen their faith and to amend their life. But the impenitent and hypocrites eat and drink judgment to themselves. Question 82. Are they then also to be admitted to this supper, who show themselves by their confession and life to be unbelieving and ungodly? No. For thereby the covenant of God is profaned and his wrath provoked, against the whole congregation. Therefore the Christian church is bound, according to the order of Christ and his apostles, to exclude such persons by the office of the keys until they amend their lives. Lord's Day 31 Question 83 What is the office of the keys? The preaching of the Holy Gospel and Christian discipline by these two the kingdom of heaven is opened to believers and shut against unbelievers. Question 84. How is the kingdom of heaven opened and shut by the preaching of the Holy Gospel? In this way, that according to the command of Christ it is proclaimed and openly witnessed to believers, one and all, that as often as they accept with true faith the promise of the gospel, all their sins are really forgiven them of God for the sake of Christ's merits. And on the contrary, to all unbelievers and hypocrites, that the wrath of God and eternal condemnation abide on them so long as they are not converted. According to this testimony of the gospel, God will judge men both in this life and in that which is to come. Question 85. How is the kingdom of heaven shut and opened by Christian discipline? In this way, that according to the command of Christ, if any under the Christian name show themselves unsound, either in doctrine or in life, and after several brotherly admonitions do not turn from their errors or evil ways, they are complained of to the church or to its proper officers, and if they neglect to hear them also, are by them denied the holy sacraments and thereby excluded from the Christian communion and by God himself from the kingdom of Christ. And if they promise and show real amendment, they are again received as members of Christ and his church. 
The third part of thankfulness. Lord's Day 32. Question 86. Since then we are redeemed from our misery by grace through Christ, without any merit of ours, why must we do good works? Because Christ, having redeemed us by His blood, also renews us by His Holy Spirit after His own image, that with our whole life we show ourselves thankful to God for His blessing, and that He be glorified through us, then also that we ourselves may be assured by our faith by the fruits thereof, and by our godly walk win also others to Christ. Question 87. Can they then not be saved who do not turn to God from their unthankful, impenitent life? By no means. For as Scripture says, no unchaste person, idolater, adulterer, thief, covetous man, drunkard, slanderer, robber, or the like, shall inherit the kingdom of God. Lord's Day 33. Question 88. In how many things does true repentance or conversion consist? In two things, the dying of the old man and the making alive of the new. Question 89. What is the dying of the old man? Heartfelt sorrow for sin, causing us to hate and turn from it always more and more. Question 90. What is the making alive of the new man? Heartfelt joy in God through Christ, causing us to take delight in living according to the will of God in all good works. Question 91. What are good works? Those only which proceed from true faith and are done according to the law of God unto His glory, and not such as rest on our own opinion or the commandments of men. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780 Four five zero thirty seven thirty by fax at seven eight zero four six eight ten ninety six or by mail at forty seven ten dash thirty seven A Avenue, Edmonton. That's E D M O N T O N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A capital B, Canada, T six L three T five. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, 
since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.